Hi, this is Violet Lang. Welcome to my podcast, The Pleasure Path, all about love, dating, relationships, and femininity. I help successful spiritual women find their pleasure and their power to create healthy partnership. Reclaiming and embodying our sexual wholeness is a gift to ourselves, our partners, and the world. Listen as Rahi Chun, host of the Organic Sexuality Podcast, shares his wisdom as a practitioner and healer. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Pleasure Path. I am honored and delighted to have my friend and Rahi Chun on the show. And Rahi, I'm really delighted that we get a chance to reconnect in this format. I know that you were a guest a few months ago, maybe even a few years ago, time is mm. kind of relative and collapsing. Um, but what I'm, one of the things I was really excited about reconnecting for the show is introducing listeners to your new podcast. And I want to say consortium, consortium of healers and teachers and practitioners that you have built this really interconnected web. And I think there's so much to say about that and, and so much value in that. So we'll dive in in the episode, but welcome. Mm. Welcome. Thank you so much, Violet. It's always fun and delightful to connect with you. And I'm, I'm delighted to be back on your podcast to explore some more. Amazing. Well, let me tell listeners a little bit about you. And then I want to hear more um, from yourself about your path and how all of these unique modalities layered in with each other and, and where you felt called to explore. So for those of you who are just meeting Rahi for the first time, he is a California state certified somatic sex educator and sexological body worker. He's also certified in TRE, trauma release exercises and neuroaffective touch and a life coach with an MA in spiritual psychology, as well as family constellations, therapy, de-armoring arts and uh, scar tissue remediation and management, as well as a few other things that I have to be honest, I cannot pronounce. <laughs> um, but Rahi is someone I deeply admire for how much he's always learning and growing and weaving in so that he can be of greater service. So Rahi, can you tell us a little bit about these modalities and how you felt called to combine these different arts? Uh, sure, sure. You know, it's really fascinating when I look back at how I was drawn to the different modalities. It was really just listening to kind of where my curiosity led me, as well as where my session work led me. Um, I feel like as practitioners, like the clients or students that are attracted to us are, are drawn, like we're challenged at where our edge is. And I feel like, you know, we're led to learn more in the areas where we're being challenged. And so as far as the modalities, um, yeah, over the years, I was always really, really fascinated with energy and embodiment and particularly life force energy or sexual energy. So in the Taoist tradition, they call it life force energy because it's the energy that creates all life. Um, and in more tantric shamanic circles, it's, it can be referred to as sexual energy. But um, I was really interested in sexual energy, not only as a pleasure force, but as a healing force. And the more I worked with clients, you know, I, it's, it, it became quickly obvious that um, 
a lot of the roots to our sexual issues and obstacles have to do with re-regulating the nervous system and healing a lot of the childhood or attachment wounds from our developmental years. So um, that's kind of how it formulated. Um, and so now the modalities are kind of um, equal parts, nervous system, uh, uh, repairing the ruptures from our developmental wounds, uh, and then equal parts like reclaiming our body's voice around choice and boundaries, and then equal parts actual uh, de-armoring of the pelvis and genitalia so we can restore healthy blood flow, sensitivity, and autonomy over our sexual embodiment. Mm that is so needed in this time in the world and at any time in the world. And it feels so juicy and so rich to be combining all of those pieces of the puzzle. And I really wanna highlight what you said about sexual energy as healing energy. I feel like sometimes we think, oh, I need to go on this healing process in order to you know, heal my dysfunction sexually so that I can be in quotations normal instead of recognizing that sexual energy is healing and powerful and creative and transformative and that the journey we take the sexual energy is is healing us as much as we're like healing the block to the sexual energy and that there is no normal or like um end goal even that it's a continual blossoming and, and unfolding absolutely i mean when you consider the sexual energy is an expression of just our life force. And when you look at infants and young children and how ecstatically blissful they are when they're delighted, when they're it's start like their whole body is feeling joy. That's really the, the energy that our pleasure and sensory receptors ride on. And so the fact that it's pleasure from, you know, uh, uh, feeling connection, you know, with someone you love or pleasure from, you know, your favorite meal or pleasure from intimate touch. It's really the same energy that's spreading throughout coursing through your, through your vessel. Yes. I love that because then we have so much more choice and such a bigger palette of, of pleasure that we can choose from instead of making it need to be in one part of our life or, you know, in the bedroom or whatever those constraints are and, and letting go of that compartmentalization. I mean, my daughter is now 14 months and even just seeing like the breeze blow on her skin and how much joy she gets from that. Or when I give her like a little massage at the end of the night before we go to bed, I just massage her legs and her feet and her belly a little bit and mm. she just gets so calm and blissful and her favorite food right now is blueberries and you mm. know it looks like she's going on a roller coaster or something she's squealing with so much delight just <laughs> eating these frozen wild blueberries so wow. um i love that you're tying it back to to childhood experiences and i think we need to break that taboo obviously we're not talking about sexualizing our children but we're recognizing mm. that um you say this often on your podcast so for those who don't know Robbie, rahi has a podcast called organic sexuality that i highly highly recommend and one thing that really struck me from the episodes that i've listened to so far is they all talk in some ways about childhood development as a key to healthy sexual and pleasure function and well-being as adults. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about that link between childhood and then adult expression and wholeness? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, 
You know, the inaugural episode, I wanted Dr. Aileen LaPierre because she is really an expert in touch. Um, and she developed something called neuroeffective touch therapy. And it, it's kind of a synthesis of psychotherapy and body work. But essentially, the ways in which our touch receptors develop and are nourished, and it starts in the womb, our touch receptors are nourished by the amniotic fluid that are that's massaging these tissues. When we come through the vaginal canal, I mean, this I found fascinating, the compression of our body, of our skin, as we move through the vaginal canal, if we're having a vaginal delivery, actually prepares our touch sensors for the human-to-human -human touch contact. So our embodiment it really like the experience of, of our embodiment gets communicated through our touch receptors. And as Aileen shares, like our growth, our experience of intimacy is through pleasure. And as an infant, it is like Ruby's delight of a wind, you know, caressing her body or the taste of blueberries kind of coursing through all of her inner organs. I mean, that's just full body pleasure. And that's where it starts. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. And, you know, like when you see how, um, you know, working with clients who do have some um, either fear or contraction around receiving or feeling too vulnerable, you know, like the energy of pleasure is too intense, you can really thread it back to their developmental years when either touch or pleasure or attachment was wired with danger or fear or some sort of, um, you know, unhealthy association. But those things can be rewired, you know, if we understand the roots and it's done with safety. Mm. Yes, everyone listening, pay attention to that. You're not broken, it can be rewired and it's an opportunity to create more pleasure. And if you're a parent or someone who is working with children, like it's an important time to set those pathways for pleasure and to condition that receptivity. It makes me think about how uh, a lot of women, I work primarily with women and a lot of the women I work with, they have this like pleasure ceiling. And then it's so fascinating what sort of stories come up when they hit that pleasure ceiling. And oftentimes it's, oh my gosh, I've been so much into receptive mode. I need to take care of my partner or, you know, my partner gave me all of these things, provided me this beautiful experience. And what I tried to do or did for my partner, I didn't land in the same way. So therefore I'm not worthy of continuing to feel pleasure. Or I'm, you know, need to snap out of it so that I can perform and deliver more and to clean the house or do whatever I need to do. And, um, you know, I feel sad and I also feel resonant with that. Like I have those same things that sometimes come up. And so I love what you're sharing about setting those pathways for pleasure all the way in, in the amniotic fluid and then noticing where society or us as parents kind of come in and put in these artificial pleasure ceilings on someone's experience, including our own. Yeah, it's really, it's fascinating. And, you know, going back to massaging and caressing Ruby before she goes to bed, this is really teaching her energy field that it is good to receive, you know, that it's wired with love and joy and playfulness and that that's where it starts. And, 
you know, those of us who were kind of like given conditions for receiving, like, oh, you can get a, a new bike if you get straight A's or, you know, where it's, and it's, you know, it's very, very common. And this is not to judge parents at all, because who knows how to judge, you know, who knows how to raise children until they're doing it, you know, until they, until they, they're actually in the situation. But those um, very subtle messages of deservingness, what we deserve, the pleasure we deserve, we have to work hard or get straight A's or whatever it is. Um, and then I think for women, there are, um, you know, other subtle layers. Like, I think for, you know, most of us, like, did we have a model of a mother who was receptive and in her flow and surrendered to receiving, you know? And then on top of that, most of us, I know me, for example, had a father figure who was less available you know, who was unavailable, you know, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, whatever gender you are, we grow up with this kind of model of the masculine being unavailable. And if they're unavailable, they're not, you know, we, we can't receive because there's no one there, you know? So there's, there's a lot of kind of conditioning and different um, messages that get imprinted when we're very young that it's important to be aware of. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, you know, maybe a memory is coming up or a recognition is coming up of a pattern within yourself, you know, I'm going to share Rahi's information in the show notes and you can always reach out to him and he can tell you more about his services and also connect you to his broad range of uh, practitioners that, that he works with. Um, I loved what you said too, just to circle back about how with your path, it was your own natural curiosity. And then that, which is evoked from your clients, it's such a good reminder of internally sourcing and then externally getting that feedback loop and that mechanism of, um, similar to what you just shared about if we're always doing like the carrot or the stick and it's always outside of us, like the reward or the punishment versus what is our own natural curiosity? Where is the energy calling us? And then not that that means we can't also then interact with and play with the outer world and get reflections from the outer world, but noticing where that comes from, um, including with pleasure, you know, that pleasure mm -hmm. can start within and that of course it can come from something out in our senses, but it can also come from diving into our sensations and noticing the pleasure that's in our breath or in our body or in mm. our breasts or in our womb space or in our balls or in our big toe, you know, that it can mm -hmm. be so many different places. And I think that helps to um, make pleasure more equitable in some ways that it's not something that you, that you buy, although you can, but it's something that is universal source that we all have access to, to varying degrees. And that I would want everyone to have even more access to these tools. Yeah. What's your, I mean, my gosh, Violet, that's like the, la the life lesson. I think all of society needs to really learn, practice and embody is understanding the harmonious uh, interplay between nourishing ourselves and receiving nourishment from an outside source. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it really can be explored on, on, on all levels. I mean, certainly when it comes to sensual sexual pleasure, because our nerve endings are everywhere in the body. And if you just expect that to be stimulated by an outside source, there's going to be whole regions and terrains of your, um, potential pleasure that goes unexplored. Um, you know, and the more, 
aware and intimate we are with our own pleasure and erotic zones, you know, the more we bring to the party with, with our partner or partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that inner and outer play is a really, really important one. And I kind of feel like it's almost like a life meditation. It's like being aware and attuned of the inner life as we engage with the outer life. Um, you know, rather than being fixated on an outer source, you know, it's like we're showing up, we're coming to the party with, you know, who we are and all of our gifts. And it just kind of uh, brings an abundance to all of our interactions, certainly in our pleasure and sexual intimacy, but really in every interaction. And I think every interaction is an expression of I don't want to call it sexuality, but certainly life force. Definitely. I mean, every interaction has the potential for merging and union. And I I think that's what sex is. Even when we're having sex with ourselves, is merging with these different pieces of ourself. And I know that, um, after I gave birth and even during pregnancy, you know, what was pleasurable to me changed both sexually and not sexually. And, you know, the ways that I, that I enjoy self-pleasure or turn myself on now are actually different than what they were Mm. before. And it's not good or bad, but it's just to me, an example of how, depending on different phases of our life, we might experience pleasure in different ways. And then we can take that pleasure, like you said, into our relationships and into our sense of vitality. Um, I've always loved feet. I have a bit of like a foot fetish. Me too. (laughs) I don't know that. Um, And I have definitely had toegasms, but I always Mm. think about like, well, I can take I can take that erotic charge that I feel in my feet. And when I'm walking on the beach or barefoot in the grass, or, you know, even touching Ruby's toes and being like, wow, like imagine she's feeling awesome mm. in her feet and, you know, paying attention to her feet. And it's just interesting to me how we have these little doorways. And I think personally, there are times where whether it's universe or spirit or God or whatever you want to call it, Um, there is a constraint in my outer world financially or a constrained relationship or, you know, something with health. And those constraints then force me to go in more and say like, well, do I really need X, Y, Z in my bank account? Do I really need like harmony in every single one of my relationships? Do I really need to have the perfect body? You know, what is that anyway? But Mm. in order to to feel good in order to feel pleasure. And so I feel like in some ways, this coronavirus is the same thing. Like, Mm. you know, can we be in this constraint, go within, get the gifts and integrate the gifts so that when we emerge, we're weaving a society that's more equitable, more sustainable and more pleasurable for all of us. But those, those deeper pleasures, not that there's a hierarchy of pleasure. I mean, I love frozen yogurt with sprinkles as much as the next person, but like really understanding Mm -hmm. that the source of the pleasure is from, um, yeah, this ability to, to move back and forth and to feel those spiritual soul, soul gasms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I mean, it, it's so critical whether you're, uh, not in a relationship, but particularly if you are in a relationship, because you want that dynamic to continually evolve as, as life does. And because, you know, it's really interesting how you shared that you noticed what gives you pleasure in your body changed after giving birth. And, you know, as we go through life, as we, our body experiences different changes, 
changes, the things that will bring us pleasure will change and we'll discover, you know, new areas. And that's the gifts that we bring to our partnership. You know, otherwise it can stay stagnant. And, you know, like, you know, in my work, I see couples who are kind of like in a fixed pattern from sometimes decades ago. And because they haven't updated their own self inventory of what can give them pleasure. And so they can't bring that to the partnership. Mm. Yeah. And I imagine there's this fear, you know, um, that very much describes my first marriage where there was very little intimacy physically, which kind of translated to a drop off in emotional intimacy. And then just this, you said kind of frozen or, or fixed pattern. And I think that someone, you know, coming from my background where there was a lot of codependency and there was some trauma um, in my upbringing and developmental trauma and sexual trauma, it's, there was this fear of like rocking the boat. And Mm. so it just devolved into kind of people pleasing and staying on the surface. And we might think that that gives a sense of safety, but as you're talking, it makes me realize, you know, the true safety is being self-resourced first so that you can bring something to the other. You don't have to worry that, okay, I'm going to need to manage their experience or their needs, or they're going to try to manage mine. It's like, we're both coming to the table really full and whole and juicy Mm -hmm. and we can play and create and um, hold space for each other as we evolve. And that continues to be a growing edge for me. I know that when I Mm -hmm. first met Jason, I felt fear like oh what if he has sexual needs that i can't meet or what if he has desires that don't feel good for me and there's just so much of me trying to control him and trying to predict the future and you know some of that was about wanting clarity around our agreements of our relationship of commitment and monogamy and all of those things which which we are and then some of it was just a reenactment of me wanting to create this codependent relationship which might feel safe at first but is ultimately going to kill and stifle the relationship Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so great that, I mean, I know Jason personally, so I can say it's so great that, y- you know, you're, you're both really turned on by uh, evolving your consciousness and yourselves and your awarenesses. And, you know, again, you know, that, 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 that just allows both of you to bring so much more to the party and it becomes a fun discovery, not only for you within yourself and your own pleasure, but, that al- the, the alchemical ex- experiment can continually evolve. And that's fun. Yeah, it is. It is fun. And I would like to believe that that's true for all of our relationships mm-hmm. and all of our, you know, our work and our passions, that it can go deeper and richer. And something that you and I were talking about before we started recording is that it feels to me, and I, I'll let you confirm or not confirm, but um, it feels to me that you take a very holistic approach. Obviously that's in the name of, of the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels so important at this time, because as I was taking a shower before this episode, I was thinking about how, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, it was like the age of information. And there was so much information with Google and everything coming about. And then it feels like we moved into the age of transformation and people were like, wow, okay, now we can apply these different technologies and modalities. And whether it was Eastern practices coming into the West or Western practices coming into East, you know, there's a lot of like transformation in, in our own personal healing journeys. And it feels like with coronavirus and just in these last few years, and maybe it's just for me because I'm still young and emerging. Maybe people who are in their seventies are like, whatever we've been integrating. Maybe it's more mm. of my 
more of my life path than a societal path. But my point is, it feels like we're moving from the age of transformation into the age of integration. Like what good is doing all of our personal healing if there's still so much systemic racism? What good is, you know, not that there's not still good to it, but like, it just feels like there's this big opening and opportunity to integrate our personal healing into the collective healing and integrate these different modalities that all of us have dove deep into and want to continue to dive deep into, but there's a point of diminishing returns. There's a point where we can add things together. And I'm also specifically thinking about, you know, not to pick on a particular person, but just to name like, you know, Tony Robbins and that style of like coaching. That's all about mindset and all about kind of like external reward and goal setting and, and just how limiting I've seen in, in people and women who I've worked with that have only had that sort of cognitive or goal oriented coaching and how big of a gap there is. And so it was so refreshing to hear on the second podcast um, with, let me pull up his name, or you can tell oh, me that. With Mike, Mike Lusada. Yeah. With Mike Lusetta about how much he was talking about the mind, the heart, and the body all at the same time versus doing a little bit and then a little bit and a little bit. I love this integration of all of these pieces, all of these pieces together. So can you can you talk a little bit more about how important it is to have an integrative approach if you're working on development sexually or with um you know, developmental trauma. Sure, sure. This is really super important, Violet, and I'm really glad you're bringing it up. Um, you know, there's some healing approaches that stress and focus, I mean, they essentially say integration is the most important part of a healing journey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those of us in the West, especially in the U.S., we're very uh, consumer-oriented culture. And even within you know, kind of consciousness, spiritual healing circles, you know, it's about, you know, it can easily translate into, oh, I've got this many trainings under my belt. Oh, I've done this. I can meditate in this. I can do yoga poses in this way. And, you know, it's really important to kind of get off the hamster wheel and really come back to the body and feel into what kind of difference this is really making into in in how you feel about yourself and your life um because it can you know easily become like a resume of yoga poses and and trainings and so the importance of integration when it comes to the body is so so critical because um you know, the mind's capacity to absorb information far outweighs, I mean, it goes at a faster rate, let's say, than the the body and the psyche's pace of integrating, whether it's releasing trauma or recalibrating what it feels like to have let go of a past memory or to feel safe in repatterning a new dynamic with intimacy that takes time because the nervous system is not rational or logical. It takes whatever time it needs to yeah, recalibrate into a new kind of understanding of what's possible, especially when it comes to being vulnerable, being safe. And so that, you know, is really in the realm of sexuality and intimacy. So, yeah, and I think I agree. I think this pandemic, you know, it put a pause for a lot of us. It helped us. It forced us to get out of the hamster wheel and to really look at 
what's important in life? You know, what really sinks into the soul and what's kind of another notch on my belt that makes me feel good about myself when I'm at a party talking about what I'm doing, but isn't really making a change in how I relate with my soul or relate with the soul of others. And at the end of the day, that's what it's really about. You know, how authentically and how truly can I commune and relate and love other people? And so, um, yeah, the integration is really, I agree, it's the key to everything. Mm-hmm. I feel the wisdom of what you're sharing about pausing, loving ourselves, loving others, and giving the body time. Mm. But it just takes the time that it's going to take. And it's, like you say, it's not linear. Um, and I think sometimes we, we shift a perspective and then we like want the body to catch up. And then we get in this cycle of then viewing the body as like a machine instead of the body as the, um, the metaphor that you have of the tree and the roots and mm. you know, giving, giving birth to the flowers and all of these other pieces, but it's not, not something to manipulate, you know, it's not something that we just change our mind and then the body is another tool in our, in our toolbox. At least I don't view it that way. I think the body is the source of, of everything. Um, and, yeah, can you just express, I know you've shared it before, but can you tell us more about your tree metaphor? So that sure, can- sure. And yeah, before I do, I just want to, you know, piggyback on what you're sharing, Violet, because I, I do believe that the body holds and embodies intelligence that's just eons beyond what the mind has language for or has the capacity to really um, um, process you know, the body remembers everything. Your instinct knows, like when you're in, when you meet someone and you sense something, you know, rationally on paper, that might not make sense, but your body knows. Um, so yeah, the, um, you know, I call my podcast, it's called organic sexuality podcast because there's a lot of metaphors with organic nature. And I feel like our, our society is really fixated on the fruits of, these of our of our nature um you know how big the banana is can the orange squirt you know all these tricks you know <laughs> of nature without really paying attention to what gives our fruit its vital force which are the branches and i i equate the branches to the circulatory system of our blood and chi or the the trunk the safety of the trunk which needs to be really firm which i equate to the sense of boundaries and uh, autonomy that the uh, that the body has in voicing what it needs and the roots of the tree uh, being like our nervous system and the roots of any tree gets its nourishment from the soil and that's the environment. So all the environmental factors, once again, coming back to our developmental years is really, really important. And I, I want to underscore we can retill the soil. We can re-nourish it if if or, the original soil was not nourishing enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can re-strengthen our roots. We can, uh, you know, regrow our trunk. I mean, all of these things are, uh, uh, you know, reconditionable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I also feel you know we're talking about time, and this is not to put any sort of time horizon on anything because it does take the time that it takes and. You know, time is, is relative and kind of a construct. 
However, I think we're living in a really exciting time with technology and all the trainings and modalities that are happening in sessions virtually, where I'm thinking about my healing journey, which started about 10 years ago, healing my sexual abuse and trauma. And I kind of took the modalities one by one, because at that point, I didn't have the, the access to people who are doing more of an integrated approach. I'm very lucky that I had an amazing somatic therapist and somatic experiencing but we actually never talked about sex or sexuality, even oh, though wow. there was sexual trauma. So I received a lot of nourishing somatic experiencing from her and um, able to process memories and the body's response to those memories. But then I felt called to work with Taoist practices mm. and Jade Egg and other Yoni Egg practices, along with yoga, you know, breathing techniques, and then eventually shadow work and um, a little bit of some of the some of the modalities that you use, although I'm not as well you know, um, not nearly as well trained in those, but my point is that, you know, I feel like my, my healing journey took, you know, around eight or nine years and I'm still, I'm still in it. It's not like sure, it's sure. completely over, but it feels like now it's a little less about healing and it's more about growth and curiosity and, and service, mm -hmm. you know, giving back in the ways that I can to my clients and the other people that I work with. But I get excited because again, it's not about the time horizon. But I've noticed that people can go through significant healing in a year or two or three years versus it taking a decade and having to do each modality differently. And sometimes depending on the person and how much self-awareness they have and how much commitment they have, you know, major changes can happen in just a few months. And mm -hmm. that is very exciting um, to know that no matter what we've been through, like you said, we can till the soil mm -hmm. and that we can have lasting transformation that we can feel much better and feel more uh, into our wholeness and our wholeness as a part of the broader whole in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's the, the developmental uh, wounding that you had addressed through somatic experiencing, even though it wasn't sexual specifically, my sense is that it created the foundation mm -hmm. for everything else that followed. And I think, you know, 10, I mean, even 10 years ago, I don't think um, trauma-informed healing somatic modality were as prevalent as they are now. Mm -hmm. And I find that, you know, it's almost like finding the key, like the root key to someone's uh, wound, because usually, you know, if in childhood I was sexually abused, for example, in my teen years, my I'm going to be drawn or magnetized kind of um, imprints that that are similar to that relational dynamic from when I was a child. So healing that root key of when I was a child or an infant often has the effect of kind of realigning the subsequent traumas that kind of lay on top of it. And I think that speaks to how, you know, people are healing much faster because I think we have a lot more awareness and accessibility to these healing experiences and modalities now than we just did, you know, even 10 years ago. Yes. And teachers and leaders like yourself have multiple modalities, and then those modalities are are layered in a way that's particular to each client, and that that's just so exciting. It makes me it really is. grateful, really yeah. grateful for all the work that you've done and other you know practitioners have done to have so many tools in your toolbox, and it's 
it's like a renaissance. It's like you're, mm. you're creating a renaissance with these different modalities so that you can create the greatest work of art with one of your clients. Mm. Oh, that's such a beautiful way of painting that picture. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing, Violet, and, you know, like, I mean, you're, you're a Renaissance artist as I am. And, and I think the one, you know, one of the key differences in the, both the efficacy and the speed at which people are healing is because so much of these modalities and facilitations are body-based now, you know? I mean, that's a focus of your work. It's a focus of my work. And I think like 20 years ago, the, the biggest game in town was talk therapy and everyone was doing talk therapy. You know, I think like in the eighties or seventies or whatever, that's all people did. And they were talking in circles for years, but now that you know, because we know that the memories, the unintegrated memories and emotions are actually stored in the body. When we get to the body and start to touch into and, and hold a safe space for listening for what those unintegrated emotions and, and stories are, they release from the body and then they're, they're gone. And so I think, I think that, that speaks to, you know, kind of how we've evolved, you know, both as healers and as a society. Mm, yes. When we go into the body first, then I agree with you. It creates the field and the foundation for so much more to change mm -hmm. and for those changes to stick. Because what mm -hmm. I find is when I'm trying to just change my mind about something and then wait for the body to catch up, you know, the mind goes in circles and the mind just looks for things that reinforce what it already knows. And that's that confirmatory bias. But when I'm listening to the body and then letting it slowly build up the awareness to my mind and work through the emotions, then it feels like I'm a new person or I'm a, you know, evolved piece of myself and it feels mm. so much more sustainable and also more relational because then I've built a relationship between my body and my mind and my heart. And that helps me to drop in with people more. Obviously I'm still growing and learning in that way, mm. but, um, yeah, the body, the body first, if I could have anyone take something away from this episode, it would be, you yeah. know, to go into the body first and really quickly, you know, a lot of times women that I work with within really the first week we're doing embodiment exercises. And within, within the second week, we're talking about our genitalia and noticing the sensations and naming mm. the sensations and the energy and all of that. And people are always like, why do I need to think about how my ovary is feeling if I want to find a partner? And I'm like, well, because this is the, the most hidden aspect of ourselves as women, the most shamed and ostracized and that we get cut off from. And if we can't name and notice and build a relationship with this part of our body, how can we expect someone else to, you know? So mm, yeah, uh, so the body critical, is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that, that you do that within the second week. And that I mean, developing that kind of intimacy with your own ovary or your own testicles, you're just your reproductive center is so um, healing, critical and empowering, especially to magnetize and engage in a in a partnership that you know, you would want all of you to show up and all of you to be engaged and celebrated. And so that's really, really beautiful and powerful. I laughed. I couldn't help it, but I laughed when you said a partnership you want, because it's so funny. I feel like, you know, 
there's points in everyone's journey where we we want the thing even if we don't care like we're like i don't care how it comes i just want the thing you know i just want to be able to have an internal orgasm or i just want to attract the partner or i just want this much in my bank account or i just want you know we have these desires that are really disembodied and that we think like the the means don't matter as long as we get where we want to get to the end and then it's so fun to feel, I'm sure you feel this within your clients. I feel this within myself and my clients. When someone makes the shift of being like, I don't care if I ever meet my partner, but I feel great about who I am and I'm feeling empowered and I'm connected to my body and I know how to talk about what I want and I can set healthy boundaries and the partner is just icing on the cake, you know, mm. and it's, it's just so um, rewarding when we can re, re um, attune ourselves to those moments of self-empowerment instead of um finding a partnership that we turns out we don't actually want yeah 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 and then and then you know the danger of that is you get i mean if you put the value of a partnership in you know that other person it's it's there's a real danger in feeling stuck in it if Mm -hmm. if that's where the value is you know as opposed to and this kind of circles back to our theme of that harmonious inner outer you know dynamic of, of developing that inner exploration and how that inner exploration intersects with the outer um you know then like if something on the outside is not in harmony, like it's not a loss, it's actually, thanks for saving my time. I'm going to find the harmonious match. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that's kind of, you know, where the big shift and turning point happens with clients is when they really come to recognize how valuable their, inner child or their inner teenager or their authentic self is. And when they value that, it's like they're unstoppable, you know, and that changes the embodiment. You know, it, it's almost like they inhabit more of their body because they inhabit more of their power and their energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then they're magnetizing all sorts of things. And, you know, as we know, you know, it's like the, you know, with the greater capacity to um, experience oneself and one's pleasure and power, that just translates into all areas of one's life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can feel the the lusciousness and the power and the magnetism of what you're talking about are there any particular examples that you have of um you know particular clients or or themes like i'm i'm maybe imagining this could be a projection but you know do you have women come to you and they're just like i just want my body back you know after giving birth or Mm. like i just want this kind of um external change and Mm -hmm. then something shifts yeah i mean there's you know i mean there's a a, yes so you know as i think i mean a lot of clients uh think that there's something wrong with them you know like i often hear my pussy is broken you know and so often it's just it's simply a lack of um knowledgeable partners a lack of you know, your own kind of sexual anatomy education of your erogenous capacity. And so, you know, and, you know, again, to this theme of taking ownership of your own body and its internal, like, you know, the internal pleasure. And once that's there, then it's like infinite. It's almost like you're looking for 
a, a well to drink water outside. And when you discover your own well, my God, you're just always wet and juicy, you know, to <laughs> mix metaphors, you know, but it's, it's really true. It's like, once you discover your own well, it's like endless. Um, so yes, I mean, there are examples of like, um, you know, I had one client, um, you know, she grew up in a country where where female circumcision was not uncommon with children. And, you know, she is now in, an adult in her 40s, and she was so, she was just numb. Um, you know, when someone's, it's interesting, because when it comes to like a physiological trauma like that, oftentimes it's the emotions that we need to um, hold space for. And once the, and for, and for her, it was her, you know, her beloved grandmother who took her to this appointment um, without letting her know that it was going to be this traumatic mutilation. Mm -hmm. And once she came to terms with that, she literally purged in the session, like almost like a plant ceremony. But then the sensations came right back into her pelvis, into her clitoral complex, and she was able to have full body orgasms. But it was it was the inner um, reconciliation of really embracing and you know, kind of holding space for that nine-year-old child inside of her that led to her body's kind of life force flowing again. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that often the case. It's really kind of reclaiming our inner that allows for the body to trust again, to feel again, to receive again, and feel safe, you know, with all of, you know, however the life force wants to evolve in pleasure and, and erotic intimacy. Yes. And I'm, I mean, obviously I'm deeply saddened that mm. I had had to go through that and that experience. And I'm also feeling hopeful that, mm -hmm. you know, she can have such a major transformation with your guidance, how much is possible, despite all of the trauma that we've endured as a human species and how much more wisdom we might then pass on to our friends and our family and our children and our children's children. And how quickly things might change then in our society, not just mm -hmm. obviously because of um, legislation and consent-based discussions and all these things that absolutely need to happen, but then also the embodiment work that happens on an individual level. Yeah, I feel like like the shifts that need to happen are within our culture, kind of our sexual culture. And I'm hopeful that, you know, technology and, you know, apps and, you know, podcasts like yours and mine, I, you know, that that it does bring valuable information and more importantly, kind of like permission for people to talk about what we all have in common, which is our sexuality, you know, without shame, without guilt, but just to learn from each other, you know? Um, and, you know, the, the, so many of these practices are simple, like for that client, for example, you know, I had her steam vaginally, but using, using castor oil, because castor oil has the effect of increasing blood flow around her clitoral complex as she was steaming. I swear, man, it was one vaginal steam with the castor oil and sensation returned that had been missing for decades. So it's these simple kind of remedies that are kind of, you know, common knowledge to you and me. But I think the average Jane and Joe don't realize are like at their fingertips. Mm. 
literally, I mean. We yeah, can. literally. You know, men, you know, we men should be massaging our prostates, you know, for healthy prostates. I mean, why are people buying Viagra when you can blend watermelon and pomegranate and, and, and have like almost a natural like result? You know, it's like there's so many like vaginal steaming. Like, I mean, there's so many things that that, um, you know, should be in our health and science books when we're in high school. So we can just know we can be empowered. Absolutely. Yeah, I learned more about vaginal steaming through you and then through your introduction um, of Kimberly Johnson and her book, mm. The Fourth Trimester, and the website, the steamy, um, not the, but steamychicks.com, which we'll put in the, or maybe mm. it's not that, which we'll put in the show notes. Um, but that's an amazing tool to restore our connection and also restore some ceremony and some celebration. You know, obviously self-care is important and healing, but so is celebrating yes. all that we are and making it joyful and fun instead of something that we feel like we need to do by ourselves or we need to do in the dark, you know, mm. metaphorically, but making it more of like a party. Yeah, there are actually vaginal steam circles, you know, women's circles, you know, people sit in a circle. And I mean, it's what a, I mean, you know, it harkens back to, I think, how um, tribes used to steam together. Um, and I have another colleague who, you know, steams and her clients will write a love letter to their yoni as they're steaming because they're getting in touch with these sensations that may have been elusive before. Um, but there are just so many benefits, especially postpartum. You know, it removes lochia, it heals stitches, it, uh, uh, you know, brings the uterus back, it's back into its original shape and position, you know, faster, you know, just so many, and that's why it's been used postpartum in so many cultures around the world for centuries. Mm -hmm. um, but this is like the common knowledge that I wanted to share through a podcast. Mm -hmm. Do you have an episode coming up about Yoni steaming? Yeah. Oh my God. It's the what? next one, Violet. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the time this, by the time this podcast episode airs, you will be able to find the Yoni steaming episode. So yes. I feel like we've covered a lot of really amazing things. And I thank you so much, Rahi, for your wisdom and your service to the world and your clients and the broader community now that people can find your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more, in addition to the podcast, how people can work with you? Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, the podcast is available, you know, wherever you can find podcasts, or you can just go to organicsexualitypodcast.com if you want to get all the show notes and, you know, uh, kind of special links. Um, my website is somaticsexualwholeness.com and uh, people, I mean, my clients work for me, work with me um, in in-person sessions for the most part. And um, I mean, before the, before COVID, I would travel as well. Like I've been to Europe to give sessions um, and most, you know, half my clients usually fly in from out of the state or out of the country and stay at Airbnbs. Um, that's, that's generally how it's been done. I mean, I started to do more virtual work during COVID. Um, uh, so that's, that's an option as well. But I actually prefer in-person sessions because all the modalities are body-based and somatic. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend sessions. I did some sessions with Rahi at a really pivotal moment in my healing journey where I was voicing what had happened to me with my abuser and was setting some new boundaries and 
really benefited from his support and a lot of the TRE and neuroaffective touch, which is neuroaffective touch is the topic of his first episode on his podcast. So highly recommend checking that out. Amrahi, is there anything else that's on your mind or heart or body that you want to share with us? Well, I just think the body is a miracle. And I think the, you know, like whatever can honor and nourish the organic life force of our body, how it is designed to flow. And, you know, we're all parented and conditioned by culture and society in different ways, but really taking the time to listen for what that authentic organic life force is and to engage in the practices and the relationships that support and honor how that life force wants to emerge. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing I would want for anyone. Mm. That feels so good to hear. I have nothing else to add <laughs> other than to say thank you. Thank you for mm. sharing your time and your wisdom and highly encourage everyone to go check out the Organic Sexuality Podcast and connect further with Rahi and his incredible team of healers and practitioners and wisdom holders that he's brought onto his show. Oh, thanks, Violet. It's always a delight to connect with you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and turning on for healthy love. Because better relationships mean more power, more creativity, and a better planet. I'm here to end the suffering of abuse and loneliness, and it starts with you. Please subscribe to my show and leave a review.